welcome back to the Act 2 Podcast, a podcast for the real-life working screenwriter. I'm Tasha Hugh. And I am Josh Hallman. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast. That way you mm -hmm. don't miss out on any of our cool topics coming up, like we have a new movie breakdown we're doing. We're going to have some really cool killer special guests coming up. Thank you, yeah. Joshua. Oh, yeah. <laughs> don't miss out. It is legitimately going to be fun. I'm really excited. And then season three is next year. That's how, you know, see, this is season two, next year, yeah. season three. That's exciting. This is fucking crazy. <laughs> I can't believe we've been doing it this long. Um, if you want to DM us with questions, Wait, whoa, whoa. topic suggestions. <laughs> just two kids with a microphone. <laughs> I can't believe we've been doing this this long. You're all grizzled. <laughs> if you want to DM us with questions, topic suggestions, Tell us that our Twitter takes are totally wrong. You can. You can reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. Or on Instagram or Twitter at act2writers. You can also find me, Tasha, on Instagram at StoryThursday or on Twitter at Tasha3.0. And I'm on Twitter at Joshua Hallman, Instagram, Josh Hallman. And uh, there was some stuff going on social media, on Twitter, about beats and scripts and when do you insert beat or long beat or pause or whatever the fuck. I, I, I couldn't even keep up with it. It's too bad that didn't happen a week ago because it would have been in our last episode about Twitter or screenwriting Twitter. That's it. That's right. But now we'll just argue about it over Twitter in our Act 2 Writers Twitter. I love it. Do you have a This Week in Writing, Joshua? I do. I do too. Well, why don't you go first so I can either make mine sound a little more appealing after hearing yours, or I can tone it down a little bit. Okay. My This Week in Writing is kind of me stealing from someone else. Um, it's basically just Glenn Mazar's tweet thread that came along this week that was just really open and honest about the writing process, and I really loved it, and I felt oh. I needed to share it with everyone. <laughs> who is a writer. For those of you who don't know, Glenn Mazzaro was a showrunner for The Walking Dead for a while. He wrote on The Shield. He's most recently writing the Sin City TV show, apparently. Glenn is great. And he opened up about his writing process this week. And I, again, just wanted to share with you and also go follow him on Twitter if you don't already, because he has some really great things to say about writing and just the business in general. So I'm going to read his somewhat short-ish thread okay okay let's do it len mazara i just turned in what turned out to be the hardest script i've ever had to write this thread is about why it was pure torture and what i learned from the process i hope it helps some emerging writer out there helps every writer glenn not just emerging writers okay <laughs> almost two years ago <laughs> I signed on to develop an IP for some fantastic producers. On Tuesday, March 10th, 2020, we sold it in the room to a great network. So that's well over a year ago. There were some rights issues, so I couldn't start writing until this time last year. After the BLM protests and the much-needed conversation about race last summer, I felt the story was even more relevant. I wrote a script that we all loved. The network? Not so much. We had oh. used a traditional model, hero trapped in a situation. The network wanted to hide the ball, not reveal the hero's dilemma until the end of the pilot. That could work, but as I started my rewrite, the entire script fell apart. It was like doing eye surgery on myself. Oh. So painful. 
I tweeted photos of blank pages that I stared at for eight hours at a time. I rewrote a new outline half a dozen times. The producers were always helpful and supportive, but I just couldn't get the script done. This dragged on all summer. I fell into one hell of a funk, like all my creativity had dried up. I'm sure it had a lot to do with the pandemic. It's been hard on my friends and family. The past few months have been joyless. I moderated a panel for Emmy-nominated writers one day and hit it off with Steve Canals. At Steve Canals. We chatted one day and discussed always having a personal connection to one's material and a light bulb went off. I realized that by moving my lead character out of the center of the story, I had not only lost the script's POV, I had lost my personal connection. Actors break down their characters. They find some connection to that character so they can create his or her inner life. I did that with another character thought about who that other character was, what drove him, what did he want? That thing that's keeping you up at night, give it to one of your characters. I did, and the script broke wide open. I started seeing scenes and writing them down. New characters sprang to life. I didn't care where they fit in the script. I thought, let me just get them down and decide where they go later. So I wrote the script in a non-linear fashion. I worried I wouldn't have enough story. Would the script only be 30 pages, 40? Today, it came in at 61. And I love it. It's a wow. bold script. Outrageous, violent, raunchy, surprising, funny. Imagine a glass truck running headfirst into a pickup full of knives during a hurricane. Wow. Will anyone ever make it? Probably not. That's show business. But I did my job. My big takeaway is that I finally defeated my imposter syndrome. No way could a non-writer have pushed through that block. Why would anyone in their right mind hang in there? Emerging writers, hang in there. This shit is hard. Find your connection to all your characters, not just the lead. Your script will open up and you'll have fun again. Might take nine months, but eventually that baby will be born. The end. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's definitely not for emerging writers. That's for everyone. No, it's for everyone. We need to get Glenn on the podcast. He's coming on. He would do it. Okay. He's already he scheduled. Let's just schedule him in. <laughs> no, I love that. I, I was just having a conversation with someone about really big ideas and it was dealing with quantum physics and time travel and this and this and this and this, but it always boiled down to character and finding your own personal connection with every, like you need that at your core at all times. That's kind of, I mean, I took a lot away from what you just said, but mm -hmm. that's what, it, that's what it just reminded me of. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because I just had a conversation today about a section of story that was like two two different people had two different points of view of how the dialogue could go, like how this particular uh, subject matter could be broached in this scene. Mm -hmm. And the conversation was interesting because logically one person had the right idea, like logically their argument made sense for why this bit of information would come, you know, in the second half of the scene. And logically the other person made sense too of why this information would come at the top of the scene mm -hmm. and i'm sorry i'm being vague but the point is is that the the way that it was figured out whether this topic would come up at the beginning or end of the scene was we talked about it through character okay we have to know who our character is absolutely in this moment how would they react respond what do they what do they see when they look out a window like i need to know what thoughts go through this character's head yeah. to that level and if you're not writing someone who's like really personal to you or someone that you're really getting into their head 
you won't be able to solve those kinds of notes problems once you get to this kind of stage of production, which is, again, just another way of saying character first. Character first. There's no cutting corners. It's no. always going to find you. Okay, Tasha, my This Week in Writing. Yeah. So I've had a, a couple conversations with people in their mid to early 20s, definitely under the age of 30, yeah. who have not heard of Lethal Weapon <laughs> or True Lies. And this really wrecked my brain. And just to kind of give yeah. a quick story, I was sitting at a bar. I was out. I feel like you need to go back even further of why you were sitting at a bar. Okay. I went and saw the new James Bond movie. And it wrecked me so much that I told my wife, Nicole, I said, we're going to a bar. <laughs> She's like, I really need to get home. No. <laughs> no. We're fucking going to drink right now. So we drove. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm not going to give spoilers away. I mean, I probably could about James Bond at this point. And I wish I had seen it when we talked about James Bond a few episodes I ago. I say something so badly. Oh, my God. So I'm a mess. I'm like, I'm wrecked because of a few different reasons through Bond. And I'm like, hey, I messaged you right away. I was like, what the fuck just happened? And then I go It to was my actually, bar. can I just interrupt for a second? Because it was a <laughs> yeah. really interesting experience. Because you texted me halfway through the movie. And you're like, I'm on this wild ride. Like, I love James Bond. And I'm like, oh, my God. He's going to be destroyed in an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I was. I, I was so fucking happy at one point. I was like... I was like, you know, it was like a TV show. I was like looking around. I was like, I love James Bond. Like anyone who would listen to me. I love this guy. This fucking guy right oh, here is my so favorite person ever. Bad for you. <sighs> so anyway, I'm like, we have to go get a drink. So we go and we get this drink. I sit down. I'm next to this person who had been drinking way too much. And uh, we end up sparking this conversation. He was 25. He's an actor. And he starts asking about me. And what kind of things I'm into. I talk about writing. I say I like action comedies. I like action thrillers, Amblin movies, that's blah, blah, blah. And he starts asking more about movies. And I was like, well, you know, I like, I like movies like True Lies. And he just went blank. He was like, True Lies? Oh, I've never heard of that. I was like, oh, oh, oh okay. Um, all right. Well, I thought that was like a beloved movie amongst <laughs> everyone, but I'll keep going. And, and then I was like, you know, something like Lethal Weapon. And he was like, Lethal Weapon. No, I haven't heard of that one either. I was like, what? Shut your mouth. Like, he's never even heard of it. So then I turned to the bartender and I was, I said, excuse me, have you heard of True Lies? And she was like, no. I was like, what the fuck? And I was like, what about Lethal Weapon? And she was like, oh, is that the one with uh, uh, Mel Gibson? Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. She said, is that the one with Bruce Willis and Danny Glover? And I was like, no, that's Die Hard. And or whatever, like Bruce Willis is in Die Hard. I was losing my mind. <laughs> and then I asked one more person who I knew, or she's 25. I messaged her, I think the next day. It's like, do you know what True Lies is? She was like, no, I've never heard of it. Oh, I actually asked a fourth person who's 31 because I was getting the age of everyone. And she hadn't mm -hmm. heard of True Lies either. And I don't know. It just it just messed with me. I think too a part of your story. Yeah, I lost. I see. I got so upset talking about it. I don't even know what my point was anymore. What's great is you were like live texting us this, so I really felt like I was there. <laughs> so you were like, I'm gonna flag down this older waitress, and you flag down the older waitress, and you're like, lethal weapon, right? And she's like, oh yeah, I've definitely I've seen it, but it's canceled now because 
like oh they, jesus they don't talk yeah. about race in an appropriate way so you're not allowed to watch that and that was a whole other conversation that we started having that's a whole fucking podcast i was sitting like the woman <laughs> when she was like i've heard a lethal weapon i was like oh that's great and i was like victorious and then she started to get on my case about how it was canceled how it was racist how i shouldn't be liking mel gibson and all these things and everyone at the bar like this she was yelling from across the bar because I, well, I yelled to her first and she was like you know i don't like this is why you shouldn't like this movie and went into some stuff and i was just shrinking in the chair like please stop talking to me please i am so fucking sorry i brought this up i just like the action and i'm this just put ah it was rough it was rough it is rough so there was a point to this tasha it did get me thinking, though, about current day action comedies. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of like, all right, well, what are more modern day action comedies? And are they what, like the Hitman's Bodyguard mm -hmm. is the other guys, but that's a little more comedy centric. Hobbs and Shaw, The Hobbs Heat. And Shaw. Like what are like yeah. the comps to bad boys? But like what are the comps to like a lethal weapon where it's I mean, action first? That's the first? point is they don't make those anymore. Like you yeah. either have the dark action or you have the heat, which is yeah. great. It's super funny, but it's funny first. It's funny forward versus what Lethal Weapon was, which was a dark story that opens with a man who's about to commit suicide. Yeah. And same with uh, True Lies is, you know, it's a relationship movie. Yeah. And I always throw these in. I've actually written action comedies, throwing air quotes there with comedies, where people have told me it's not funny enough. And... Yeah. I'm like, I, I know it's not funny enough, but it's weird. It's weird to say it's because if I say it's an action thriller, it's almost too funny. Like there's comedic mm -hmm, moments mm -hmm. in it. But if it's an action comedy, it's not funny enough. It's a weird balance. You just have to Shane Black it and just push forward with your vision. Always find someone who believes in it, because I do feel like we are in the stage of nobody understands what that movie is anymore. So before we jump into our main topic. Do you mm -hmm. consider Lethal Weapon an action comedy? Oh my gosh. I've never oh. quite been asked that question. Well, this is what the podcast is for. <laughs> no, it's an action movie that's funny. That's a music that has funny, that has comedy in it. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, I think True Lies is an action comedy. Yeah, you have Tom Arnold, clearly the comic relief in that movie. Yeah. You and don't Arnold's have comic reliefs in Lethal Weapon. You don't have any of the sort of comic tropes. There's nothing that's played as ridiculous. It's all very grounded. I'm taking to Twitter when we're done with this. I'm going to ask if Lethal Weapon's an action comedy. I'd like the world to weigh in. Do you think it's an action comedy? It, it's weird. It's it's like a, it's it's hard to describe what the comedy is in it. But yeah, I, I guess I don't. It's it's an action film, like 48 Hours. Is that an action comedy? Ooh. Ooh. It's in the same vein. Oh, man. It's Is more like... comedy, though. It's more comedy. There's, like, lines played for... I think we're going to have to do an Is It Action or Action Comedy segment. Yeah. Okay. Main topic. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Today, we are talking about what happens when you, as a writer, get a submission. What are the different types of submissions you're going to get? How to address them in the appropriate way? Because there are yeah. sort of rules and etiquette to that. We break down what the submission process looks like from start to kind of the best case scenario finish. And 
Joshua, I'm sort of remembering that you had a really great submission story from a few episodes ago where this guy at the car wash at CAA submitted a book to you. How long did it take you to read that? This is not a great <laughs> submission story. I love story. that submission story. This was story. my first, I mean, is that even a Because it's your first one. Story? This is why it's important. Um, I read the book in like two days. No. Yeah. That's impressive. I was an ambitious younger person. <laughs> <laughs> and remind me, did you pitch it to him like at the <laughs> Baja Fresh where we met um, yeah. after you read it? Or did you like write up a little outline for him to read? No, I fucking, I did both. He didn't read the outline, but yes, I read the movie or read the script and then I pitched what my vision is and then he didn't care for it at all. That's right. <laughs> okay. In the Baja Fresh. Fresh. Um, all right. So <laughs> I love that story <laughs> so much. Okay. So there are several types of submissions you will get in your lifetime as a screenwriter. The book, <laughs> like from the guy at the car wash. <laughs> it is a book, right? You said script, but I think you meant book. I did. Yes. I'm sorry. It was okay. a book. There's treatments, which you get because another writer wrote them, or maybe a producer wrote it, or a director wrote this. There's a script something obviously that another writer has written. It might be their original spec, or it might be something another writer wrote for hire. There's short stories you could get, articles. I've been submitted articles, research documents, medical reports oh. <laughs> um, that people get. Well, let me ask you this, Tasha. Who's submitting to you? Is this going through your agent manager or am I just jumping ahead? No, that's exactly what I was going to mention next, which is, oh. It can come from two different places, right? It can come from your agents or your manager who they're out there hustling for you because you have a killer sample, they're sending it out into the world and that's how they hustle for you, right? Because they have a piece of material from you that they believe in and they are telling all their producer buddies out in the world, you should read Josh Hallman, he is awesome, I'll send you his script, you should be on the next hot new wave of Josh Hallman action movies. The of next course. new wave of Josh Hallman. Yeah. So <laughs> producer A <laughs> reads Josh's awesome sample and they reply to his agent or manager and is like, you're right, I loved his script, he's amazing, I wanna be in business with him, I have a book or a short story or a comic book that I think he would love. So it gets officially submitted through your reps who then pass it along to you. And then the second way you could get a submission is if you're building a network of people for yourself. So this could be through the generals that you're taking, through friends you're meeting because you're a PA on set or you're an assistant or whatever the case is. You could go potentially to comic book conventions. I've definitely known people who have built their network out this way and this is how they get submissions. It could really be anything. It's just your network of people actively working in the industry who know you and love you and want to work with you. And then the same thing of course happens. They send you a book or an article, whatever they think might be good for you. Yeah. Now I want to kind of take a step back slightly and talk about submissions from a producer's point of view before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of actual submissions, because I think it's important to understand why you're being submitted something and what the expectations are there. Because when I first started getting submissions, I didn't understand a lot of the rules surrounding it. And I didn't understand what was expected of me exactly. Tell so us. I just want to walk through it. I'm probably, I'm going to use like some real world examples probably of where like I screwed up. Um, <laughs> yeah, use, use, use names be as <laughs> yeah. specific as possible. 
Um, all right, so let's imagine I'm a producer. And as a producer, I of course make a weekly salary at my company, but I also get a huge chunk of money when a project of mine goes into production. So that's my end goal is to get my project into production. So because I cannot generate my own projects because I am not a writer, I do other things to find project ideas that I can then sell and turn into a produced thing. So I'm constantly like reading newspapers and magazines for ideas. Josh, like all the generals you've been on, I'm sure that like when they pitch you ideas, they're like, oh, I got this great article from New York Times or the New Yorker had this great thing that just came out or whatever. Yeah. It's it's often sometimes like random places that these people are, are looking for for ideas. Yeah. Internet website yeah I've, reddit I've yeah reddit oh my god yes reddit all sorts of different areas but that that's part of the job right is like finding these really appealing i like uh articles and ideas that no one else has really found before yeah absolutely when i worked for uh my boss at universal she would often go to the theater because are there plays out there that can be turned into a movie or a tv show we also had a book agent at universal all the studios do as well as many producers who are able to afford them and book agents will handle like finding me the producer books comic books short story collections that fit into the kinds of movies i want to make so the point being if i am a producer i am reading a shit ton of stuff and if yep. i see that there's an ip out there that i could somehow turn turn into a movie or a TV show, I'm going to jump on it. And let's say I finally found one. And it's a book that's really good. It's also pretty popular. Maybe my book agent says it's going to be a huge hit because they have their finger on the pole. So now I have this book and it's about, it's about a spy who loses his memory and has to figure out who he is while this black ops spy agency who trained him is trying to kill him to silence him. Mm-hmm. It's born. I'm born. So this yeah. is going to make this killer character-driven spy movie, right? Now, after all of that research, all the reading I had to do, I'm not seeing my kids on a Friday night because I'm reading this stupid born book. Now the, the real work begins for me as a producer because now I have to find a writer. Now, as a producer, the best writer for the job isn't the only thing I have to be looking for because I also have to make sure that it is a writer who will make financiers and studios, the people who can actually greenlight my project, I have to make sure I find a writer that makes them excited and makes them want to invest millions upon millions of dollars in my project. Now, Joe Schmo writer who has no credits or maybe only a few development credits might knock this adaptation out of the park. I've read their sample, I've talked to them, they could kill this, but nobody knows Joe Schmo writer. And I'm not sure Universal is going to be very excited about spending millions of dollars on a movie by a guy they've never heard of before. Oh. I might even tell them, like, trust me, Joe <laughs> Schmo is amazing. Read his script. Trust me, it's great. But, and I've seen this before, even if the Universal exec, say, reads Joe Schmo's script and says it's great, their next question in their mind is going to be, but has he ever proven that he can get a movie greenlit? Yeah. And when I first heard that said to me, which is Tasha, <laughs> you've never gotten a movie greenlit, so no one's going to trust you with anything. It took me kind of a while to figure out why that was a problem, because everyone who's gotten a movie greenlit has at one point in their life not had a movie greenlit. So someone had to trust them at some point. But here's kind of I had to sort of peek behind the veil to understand what Universal might be thinking, to understand what I had to do to be a writer who excited them. So Universal is thinking, okay, 
maybe you can write a script from scratch. Maybe you can write this original script that you came up with and that's great, but who knows how long it took you to write that. For me, one of my samples that were, was going out for a long time, it took me like several years to get it into the shape that it's in. Oh. Which as we know, if you actually are hired for a job, you don't have several years to get this into good shape. <laughs> you have to do it now. <laughs> There's also the problem of can this writer handle development notes? How about development notes from 10 different executives who have something different to say, oftentimes conflicting things? Okay, can they handle those notes, but also revise a script based on those 10 different conflicting notes and send me a draft that's improved from the last one? Because yeah. I can tell you a lot of times at Universal, they got all these notes, a huge notes document, and the writer, understandably, because there are a lot of conflicting notes, came back with a draft that was worse. And that's a development exec's worst nightmare because they've just asked their boss to spend a shit ton of money on you and you've come back with something worse. And that's even with established writers. That's even with well-established writers. Mm -hmm. Then when we get into production and suddenly your script that hinges on this spy character traveling to five different countries, well, we only have money to stay in one country. Can you account for that? Is that okay? Can you write that? And we talked to Joe Russo, who came on the podcast a while ago, and he talked about this exact thing, how they went into production, they had a very low budget, and he had to suddenly completely rewrite his movie to fit into this new budget. And what a task it was. It was really hard. At that point, it's less writing and more like puzzle piecing together, and not every writer has this skill. Yeah. So that's what Universal is completely thinking about. Even though they may love Joe Schmo's sample, they need to be secure that Joe Schmo can handle production. So this is why Joe Schmo will seem like a huge risk to a buyer because for all the reasons I just said. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, and I, and I think I've told this story before, but I, I once pitched on a movie and they loved my pitch. They just loved it. But I didn't get the job because the exec told me I didn't seem like I could handle all the different personalities on the production. And at the time they were probably right, but it hurt because I was like, but I'm, you love my pitch and I'm a good writer and I could handle the writing. And they're like, yeah, but you can't handle the other stuff. So that's just something to think about. Is that, is that, do you think that was because of the way you carried yourself or because of not having credits? My feeling is it's because of how I carried myself. Like I was nervous in the pitch because I was so excited to do it. Yeah. It would have been a dream project for me. And it was at the time, the first time I'd ever pitched to like a studio head, mm -hmm. which was a real, I got, I got in my head about that, um, pitching to like the president. So I think it was how I came off because I'm assuming having known my development credits, they wouldn't have let me in the room if that was an issue to begin with. Sure. I'm just curious, you know, because yeah. your body language, not yours, but just anyone's body language and presence of how you present an idea is a very big deal when it, it comes is. to um you know pitching ideas and anything really it's huge it was a huge turning point for me i've completely changed my body language and sort of my mantra i guess my mental mantra going into pitches because of that because i don't want to lose another job because people think i can't handle that yeah and the good news is, is now you're past that and it'll never happen again never not on my watch <laughs> Unless they, unless they ask me to pitch Harry Potter, then I'll probably be like sweating through my clothes. 
Oh man, I would. Oh yeah, I would love to see that. I can't wait for you to reboot Harry Potter. <laughs> Me too. I'm really excited. Yeah, which is anyways 2023, 2024. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So back to me being a producer. So I'm thinking about all of this. I know how studios and financiers think, and I know they need to feel confident in the writer they are investing in. So I could go to the mat for Joe Schmo, or I could find an equally good writer with more experience. Regardless, my job right now is to meet a ton of writers and find a handful of them who might be good for my spy book. Now, the question that I've always asked is why do you have to find a handful? And I think this is important because let's say I send my spy book to Josh. How long do you think it's going to take you to read this spy book? You're not as young as you were back then. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, uh, like a week. Okay. So after a week, and that's, to me, that's fast. Like, it takes me about two weeks. Yeah, so, when I said that, I regretted it, but I was <laughs> like, it's already on the record, so I'm going to keep going with it. I'd say, uh, let's go two weeks. One to two weeks. Yeah. So after that, you're probably going to discuss it with the executive. You're probably going to then go away and figure your take out, which, how long would you say it takes you to come up with a take for something? Well, weirdly, I think it, like, I'm figuring out a take while reading like that's yeah, sure. at least my process. So not too long after reading, I like a few days. But how but long I, you to know, put a pitch together? Oh, a month. Yeah. Okay. So you spent one to two weeks reading. Now you have a month to go kind of hash out your take in an actual pitch form. Yeah. And then I, the producer, I have notes. I love your take, Josh, but I got yeah. some notes. So now okay. you're going to go address them. Great. Let me hear those notes. <laughs> Might take you what? Like... I mean, as we've talked about, we're always working on several other things at the same time. So yeah, how long do you think it would take to you to address notes on a pitch? I'm going to say another three weeks. So that's two months. Yeah. And change kind of down the hatch. So if I'm only engaging one writer at a time on my spy book as a business model, that's not great. Right. Because let's say it took you a month to read it, which is actually more likely. That's often how long it takes writers to read things. After a month, you're like, eh, I don't really like it. I've just wasted a month waiting for Josh to say he doesn't like it. So it makes more sense for me to yeah. try to go to more than one writer to just help stack the odds in my favor. Because A, it helps me find the best possible take. Because if I send to Josh and I send to Dave and I send to Joe Schmo, I'm going to get three different takes. And now I have my pick of the litter. Yeah. And it almost creates a um, uh, a pressure on the writer to get the book done a little faster, get your take out a little bit, want to show your enthusiasm and investment in the project. That's a really good point. And I do think as soon as you get a submission, I always ask my reps how many people are engaging on this project. Yeah. And they will often tell me on their own or I'll have to ask, like, how urgent is this? Because... If it's like we we need to come up with a take in two weeks because we have all these writers and one of them's going to get there before you, that's something to think about. I remember one time I, I read this book. I, I was told specifically, you don't have to come in with a take on your first meeting. Don't worry about it. Just go and talk to them and see what they want, which made sense because this book was so crazy. It could go a million different ways. So I go in at around noonish to talk to these people. I go have some lunch. I'm excited by what they said. I'm ready to go start working on my pitch. Around two, I get a call and it's like, the writer who came after you pitched a full take and they bought it. I was like, what? <laughs> you told me not to come in with a take. Yeah. 
so that's a possibility. It is just a possibility. Just get a feel for the landscape. Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's good advice. It is. Po I mean, the, the reality is, is the, everyone's human. You can sway people, and if you're a producer and I'm a writer, and I'm like, this is it. Like, here is the take. I promise you, if you're persuasive enough, people will believe you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. That could be. Okay. <sighs> Sorry, I'm just mourning that moment. Okay. Yeah. So if yeah. I'm a good producer, most likely I'm going out to a few targeted writers, like maybe five. That seems like sort of the usual number that people do is like five. Ten is when it gets to be like a bake-off is what they call it, where it's just so many writers, it feels ridiculous. Like the odds of you getting that job are so slim. So that's something to think about too in terms of time risk management. But all right, I'm this producer. I'm going to send this spy book to Josh because I know he loves this shit. But in the meantime, I'm also going to send it to a few other writers whom I think would kill it. And sometimes as a producer, maybe I go through those five writers and I actually don't like any of their takes. So I have to oh. start over completely. Again, I, as the producer, always want to try to stack the odds in my favor. So I just want to like drill this home because I want you to understand where producers are coming from when they send you a submission. You don't have forever. You're up against competition. They are desperately looking for someone to say, it's okay. I know how to make this into a movie that will get you that big paycheck when we get greenlit. They're looking for um, that kind of confidence, right? So the whole point of this long-winded story, and I apologize, <laughs> was that when you get a submission of any kind, you need to kind of know what the landscape is before diving into it. Now, the first thing I want to talk about when diving into specifics is reading times. As we kind of mentioned, Josh takes one to two weeks. I'm notoriously <laughs> bad. It's like two weeks to a month. I'm sort of of this weird mind that's not logical, but I feel like I have so much writing to do that when I see a book staring at me that I have to read, I'm like, that's the last thing I should be doing. No, that's totally normal. I'm <laughs> is it? completely the same way. Yeah. It's still work. Why don't I read it? And just in general, I've actually just had this thought. I kind of stopped reading novels and stories on my own and just for fun because of all the scripts and just because yes. of writing and probably because of how much time we spend on the internet reading just articles. You don't, you just, you're mm -hmm. always reading now. It's mm -hmm. just crazy. And so now I see, I have books that, you know, you, they're like trophies. I just have never read them. They're just here. I know. Me too. I hate it. I never read for fun anymore. I actually had to make it a goal of mine in the year, which we'll talk about when we get to the new year section and we start our new season, we always yeah. do sort of a, a goal buddies, what is, what's your plan for the year? And one of mine two years ago was to read all submissions within two weeks. <laughs> Whether oh. it's an article, book, it doesn't matter what size it is, like give two weeks as the standard operating procedure. And sometimes if it's urgent, you know, you do it less, but for the most part, one to two weeks is kind of the expected turnaround. Okay. Now, something to consider when you are reading a submission, do not read the entire thing. Do not feel pressured, I should say, to read the entire thing. If by page 20, you know this book is not for you, do not read the whole book. Pass on it. Just move on. Life's too short. And we'll kind of talk about how to pass on stuff in a second, but just don't feel obligated to read an entire submission. Just a producer is not going to read an entire script if by page 10 they hate it. Do them the same favor, yeah. <laughs> right? Fuck it. <laughs> All right, so Josh, let's say best case scenario, you've been given this spy book. You really like it. Love it. You can already see parts of the movie kind of clicking in your head. What do you do next? I start writing down a treatment. 
I write down those scenes, the things that I love about it. Putting together That's the awesome. story. What what's act one? What's act two? What's act three? Where does it start? Where does it end? Yeah. What do I you think do? that's I think that's great. I sort of don't put anything on paper right away. Unless like I'm just ridiculously inspired to do so, but usually I just sort of keep it in my head of because I feel like as soon as I write it down it becomes concrete and I like Ooh. still want it to be more fluid in my head when I essentially throw my hat in the ring or like ask for that initial call back with the producer, which is basically either my reps or me saying, Hey producer, I love the spy book. I would love to chat more about it. And now you're into like the initial call phase, which we'll walk through because I was confused for a very long time. What this initial call was meant to be again, remember the, the story about like, I came in for the initial meeting, same as a call and just thought it was, chatting about the book just chat about ideas and then let's miss overachiever came in after me and pitched the whole movie so <laughs> so what is the initial call supposed to be and it's never going to always be the same it could be that sort of <clears throat> random instance where someone pitches a whole thing but typically the initial call is just to be like hey i'm so enthusiastic about this spy book I want to talk to you about the things that I love, which are all the things you just talked about, all the things that you kind of wrote down as you were reading. That's to, that's the time to like really excitedly bring up the parts that you love. Like, I love the part where he like kills a guy with a book in the apartment. That's like so freaking cool. And then talk about why that's cool, because we all know that's cool. What is your particular perspective on why that's cool? That can start to separate your take from someone else's take, which is like, I really love when spies can be anywhere in the world in any normal environment and still be a deadly weapon. Mm. Like the fact that everyday things can be dangerous in their hands, that's super cool to me. And I'd want to dial in on that idea. And maybe you have, you know, some other pitches of, of where that could happen. I also would say like, be prepared to talk about your favorite characters in the story and why you loved them so much and why in your opinion they're unique because as we've discovered your pitch on james bond the other day when we did the kind of tv pitch kind of impromptu episode like your take yeah. on james bond is very different from my take on james bond so we clearly love different parts about james bond so what is unique about why you love these characters i would say also be prepared with some of your overall fixes so if you've read the spy book and it's pretty clear this whole middle section when he goes to Siberia is pretty boring, I wouldn't include that. Or if I do include it, I want to give it more intent so that it's exciting and this is what I would do with it. Just have those kinds of ideas ready to go. Sometimes it's like, I want to take out whole characters or whole subplots, then that's okay too. Just start talking about where your brain was going as you were reading and do it very casually because yep. this is still a conversation stage. You're not pitching your take. You're just kind of saying what you love about it. And I think the thing that I always have to remember is because producers are not writers, they are looking for someone to come in and not just be like, all the parts you thought were cool, I think are cool. It's like, yeah, I can have that conversation with my mom, but what is a writer <laughs> gonna bring to this conversation that's uniquely writerly, right? And it's how those moments can work in a movie or how we dial in on a certain thing to make it more movie worthy, right? What are the movie moments? That's what they're depending on you for in that initial call. Mm -hmm. So after this initial call, you kind of nerded out with your producer about this book. 
then the call should wrap up with like, okay, what are the next steps? And I kind of like to be the one to ask that question because it sort of makes you seem like you know what you're doing and you're more in control of the situation. Um, so as you wrap up the call, you can kind of say, all right, cool. So what's the timeline for you? Or what's the process looking like for you on your end? And that's really the opportunity for the producer to give you kind of the context of what they're dealing with on their side of the story, which is their chance to be like, well, we're hearing takes from a few other writers mm -hmm. and here's our timeline. We'd like to go to the studio with like the top two pitches. We'd like to do that in two weeks. Does that work for you? And you're like, oh, God, two weeks. Oh, my God, I can't do it. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, no, of yeah. course, that's no problem. Done. <laughs> so that's kind of what the initial call should look like. But what happens if you have that initial call and the producer says, actually, the things you love about it are the things I hate about it. My favorite part is that boring part in Siberia. And I actually think we could make a movie about just that. Oh, like, what would you do? If a producer said that I would say yeah that's that's really interesting I have to think about it and I probably have to think about the best way into that story because that wasn't what stuck out to me it off the bat but I can definitely think about it mm -hmm. has that happened to you I feel like it has and in certain parts of my career I just pivoted and was like okay I can make that movie too and that was usually when I was just trying to get my next job desperately for sure but I feel like now only because i've gone through the pitch process pitch process on things that i really just didn't feel passionate about but needed the paycheck for i feel like i wouldn't write that movie very well so i feel like now i would probably say well i don't like that siberia part doesn't excite me like i don't yeah, I'm not wanna, the right person for this not the right person or i go home and do what you're kind of saying which is like all right they want to make the siberia version what about the Siberia version do I find exciting? And if I can't find anything, I pass. But if I can, like, go for it. Yeah. It's not what you originally thought, but go for it. No, I, I, I agree. What I was, I, my point being is I would not just do the knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, fuck off. I, I would more <laughs> so say, all right, let me think about it and then get back and say, you, you know what? you fucking crazy? Siberia is lame. <laughs> hey, yeah, <laughs> pass. <laughs> No, you, I would always absolutely, eat. yeah. No. Pass later after the pass meeting's later. over. Yeah, consider it. Consider it. Even yeah. if you know you're gonna pass, would be my personal opinion. Like, yeah, always at least take a beat. It's like when you get into an argument with someone and you're like really emotional and heated, and then you like the next day you're totally fine. Yeah, you need that downtime. You need downtime. You need that time at the bar to just chill out, figure out what's going on. Yeah, what's up? <laughs> All right, so initial call is over. You're ready to engage. Producer's ready to hear your take. And now you basically just construct your pitch. And you clearly go back to our pitching is terrible episodes to For help sure. you craft your pitch. Yeah. This is like a full circle of the Act 2 podcast. <laughs> yeah. The pitch phase has definitely gone in many different ways in my experience. I feel like the most common way is the worst way which is you will likely be forced to pitch like half a dozen times mm. right so like you'll pitch to the junior executive first because they're kind of like the first line of defense at the company and especially when you're starting out those are typically the connections you're making are sort of the lower executives rather than like the vps and the presidents of the company who are making all the decisions so you have to pitch to the junior executive first 
If they don't like it, they're not even going to bother passing it to their boss. But if they do like it, they'll probably come back to you with notes. So now you're doing another round of notes on your pitch. You're going to probably re-pitch the junior executive who's like, okay, that's great. Now let's go pitch my boss. We're a month later in terms of scheduling because it's hard to get the boss pinned down. You'll probably yeah. go to do another round of notes after the boss hears it. And this is if you're pitching to a production company. And then once the production company boss says, yep, this is the one I want to do, then you're going to go to the studio. And you're probably going to do the same thing. Pitch to a junior executive first. Because you repeat, they're the first line of defense. <laughs> and then so on. So for instance, I've just pitched on something about five or six times. And that's after doing several rounds of notes with the junior executive. So after I got my pitch to the shape I wanted, five or six additional pitches to just keep going up the chain. Yeah, which is great, by the way. I know you don't like pitching and, and it's like, why am I doing this? But as you, I like, as you're, I feel like every time you pitch, not you, anyone, anyone pitches, you do it over and over, you become so comfortable and you master the art of pitching that you actually get to the place that you were afraid to get to or like the place that you wanted to get to and you had to be afraid to get there. That made sense. It does make sense. And I actually have your voice in my head when these comes up because you have always been of this mind that like every pitch is going to help you improve and every pitch <laughs> is a lesson. And I'm like, yeah, every pitch is a lesson. Okay. Rather than being every negative pitch. about it, it's, yeah, it's just, nope. you learn something new. For sure. And like you, I remember, remember there was a pitch circulating that you and I, we watched, I forget who the writer was, but this was years ago and we both watched it and it was like, oh my God, he was so confident. He was so calm. He had a, a presence about him where he mm -hmm. had a complete control of the story. Mm -hmm. I wish I could pitch like that. Mm -hmm. And then the only way to get there is by pitching often. Yeah, it's true. You almost want to, like, if you're not pitching in rooms, just pitch to your friends as practice. Like, I, I wonder if that helps. Pitching to your friends, just like pitching to your writer's group, pitching to your friends, just like practice pitching so that oh, you totally. are, like, forcing yourself to get to that place versus my version, which is, like, getting to that place and having to, you know, be told on a really amazing job that you can't have it because you're not there yet. <laughs> if, if I'd practice pitch the hell out of, you know, my life before that, maybe that wouldn't have happened. I love it. I love pitching for that. Oh, yeah, God, anyway. it's so terrible. Anyways, all right. So you've pitched this thing, and here's <laughs> here's where time risk management becomes an issue with writers and where you have to think about this. Because yeah. let's say you've gone through these six pitches. You've gone all the way to the boss, the head of the studio, and oh, my God, this is it. This is the person who in the room can say yes or no, and they say no. If they pass, this is dead. This is as a producer, my project is also dead. So it sucks for me. I have to start all over with a new property. For you, the writer, you're also shit out of luck because you can't go take this pitch that you've worked months on somewhere else on your own. You don't own this idea. This came from a book or a comic book or a short story and you developed your pitch based on notes from the producer, which is why it's a very good thing to start practicing being really selective about the submissions you decide to engage in and i think some people think well that's a luxury that i don't have but to go back to sort of a personal story there was a year where i just pitched i didn't write anything original i was just desperately trying to get my next job and i had 12 pitches that year mm -hmm. 
and they were all books so like my goodreads list was like super awesome that year but like that <laughs> <Goodreads>. meant that <laughs> that meant for a month or two i was working on a same project overlapping with another project in order to get 12 crammed into one year what happened was for various reasons none of those pitches sold and i found myself at the end of that year with no income no prospects because I wasn't able to write any new samples and get anyone really excited or take interesting opportunities because I was so focused on pitching. And mm-hmm. then I had no original scripts that could propel my career forward. Instead, I put my heart and soul into pitching 12 properties that had been submitted to me that did not belong to me. So at that point, when I didn't get these jobs, that was it. All of that work was for nothing. and. Yes, as Josh says, that was like a really valuable year because it was a pitching boot camp that did change my life and made me much better at pitching. But it also stalled my career and I had to get a day job for a long time and was really scared about rent and groceries, had to borrow money from my mom. So I do think it is important, regardless of what stage you are in, to be selective about your submissions. And is that six months you're gonna spend on that submission pitching and everything better spent doing an original script? Yeah, there's a healthy balance between being overly selective and too selective, where you just say yes to everything, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, and then you just say no to everything. You have to figure, and I actually think that happens at every level. If you're a younger writer and like your buddy comes up to you and is like, let's write a fucking script together, and then someone else says the same thing and you're working on something else, you can do too much and not get anything done. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so yeah, there's a there's a happy medium, I think, in uh, selecting what you do. Yeah. And I think the way to maybe help look at it is look at your schedule and what hours you have in your day to work on writing. And if you can, it, it feels like what's manageable, at least to me, is having maybe one pitch while also one script you're writing at the same time mm-hmm. versus a few pitches that overlap the way I was doing it, like constant pitch, 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 pitch. So I didn't have any time for actual writing in between all yeah. of that. So just, yeah, just look at that. And then the last thing I want to say about submissions is how do you pass on them? Are you polite? Are you like, this sucked? <laughs> <laughs> do you just ghost people? How do you pass? No. Oh God. No. Uh, <laughs> have you ghosted people? Maybe. Yes. Yes, I definitely have. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure I have too. I don't even know why I said I'm sure at some point. But I've had people, my manager, pass for me mm-hmm. and come up with an excuse. And then I have written producers or whoever and just been like, I think this is really cool. I just don't have the bandwidth for this right now because I'm doing X, Y, and Z. Keep me posted about the project and uh, let's stay in touch. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. Like I'm not actually wanting to do it. It's just yeah that's just your way of punting it yeah what's interesting is recent i've always done that as well of like i don't really have time and usually that's true but sure this this one time i was i had a thing that i wanted to pass on and i was kind of talking to my reps about strategizing how to do it and one of my reps was like just say that you're too busy like well we can't say that because they know i'm pitching on another thing so Mm. they're gonna they're gonna know that oh you're not too busy to do that other project why are you too busy to do mine and then my manager had the brilliant idea of saying why don't you just tell them you didn't respond to the material i was like oh you mean like honesty (laughs) (laughs) wait that's an option (laughs) so you know you can also say that of like hey i'm not sure that i can really 
see the take here or I'm not, yeah. I can't really see my way through what, what this could be. Or um, there's a way of, of saying that so that you don't sound dumb, but right. you're, you're saying like, I didn't, I didn't fully see the movie here because sometimes that's legit. Like you could be a fantastic writer, receive a book and be like, I don't, nothing here sparks my interest to the point where I know how to make this a movie. And then sometimes you're like, oh my God, I see this movie immediately. Yeah. So there is room for honesty in your past as well. Yeah, I guess there is. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way. Josh is more a smoke and mirrors kind of man. So <laughs> I mean, listen, I feel like no one's really being honest to me. So I like in those scenarios. So I'm just going to return the favor. <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> As you say that, I, I I have like with you, for instance, I could picture someone saying, "Okay, well, what didn't you respond like, or like, what didn't, uh, why didn't you respond to the material? Is there something else in there that you know might pique your interest, or mm. well, like, where they're trying to like extract a story out of you, and it's mm. just prolonging this, you know, yeah. pass, I guess. Yeah, that's and, happened and that's to why me. I, you know, I've oh, it has happened to you. Yeah. And then what happens? Do you, you just well, it like, gets real awkward because then you yeah. have to you have to at that point be like, well, I just didn't like this character, and then they can be like, well, yeah, but couldn't you like make this character into something? Yeah. You're like, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, I know. And, and it sometimes like what I've said, it does. I know. Yeah. I think sometimes what I've said to get out of that part of it is that it would, it's kind of falling back on the I'm too busy thing, which is like I think it would just take too much time to figure out how to make that work and i just don't quite have the time to do that and there's yeah. a way to do it respectfully so you're like this is really great i just there's someone else who has more time who can figure this out <laughs> <laughs> we one day we should do an episode just called getting out of stuff <laughs> we should, that's actually not a bad idea because <laughs> that comes up a lot yeah all right okay we'll do it <laughs> All right, so that's submissions. If you have any additional questions on that or if I skipped a, something super obvious that you'd really like to know more about, please reach out to us at act2writers at gmail.com or on our Twitter at act2writers. And then I will end with our quote of the day. Let's do it. When I say work, I only mean writing. Everything else is just odd jobs. Margaret Lawrence. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Follow us at Act 2 Writers for more awesome writing stuff. You can follow me, Tasha, at Story Thursday on Instagram or on Twitter at Tasha 3.0. And I'm on Instagram as Josh Hallman, Twitter Joshua Hallman. And as always, the Act 2 podcast is a production of Act 2, a network and support group for the everyday working screenwriter. This episode was edited by Paul Lundquist. Music by 4 and 4 Beg, which you can find on Spotify. Mm -hmm.